and welcome to the seventh episode of the Bee Pity Bunch Brunch, where we get together with our favorite brunchy beverages to catch up, play games, and talk about all things BPD. I am Zanny, your host, and today I am here with Georgette, Andre, and Mo. Woohoo! We're ready, we're ready. We are ready. What's your brunchy beverage? I have water with chia seeds in it. I have part coffee, part Swiss Miss, Swiss Miss chocolate mix and water. That is one of my I've... favorites. I love it so much. <laughs> I'm just drinking coffee. Do you know what? I tried to be a bit um, healthy earlier on and I got, I've got one of these little juices. So I thought I'd make ginger, lime juice and honey because it looked really good Ooh. on the thing. It came out disgustingly bad. Like, it was all creepy. <laughs> it wasn't even like a juice. I think I left it in too long. So no juicy beverage for Andre today. <laughs> no. I was like, I'm leaving that alone. In our main episode this week, we talked about effective instability. And so for our brunch episode today, we are going to share some of our stories or experiences with this symptom in a game version where I'm going to read out the stories and then we're going to guess whose is whose. So without further ado, story number one. I'm still a moody person, but I like to think that I'm not as reactive to them anymore. In the beginning of this BPD ride, the slightest inconvenience would send me into a depression. I'd snap at anyone for any reason when I was in that state, unless, of course, someone or something saved me and made me feel better. Then I'd feel an unhealthy amount of euphoria and be on top of the world. It was draining to be so up and down all the time and how quickly it could happen. Again, I'm still moody, but I'm able to remind myself that whatever it is that is happening is not the end of the world. I'm also able to give new friendships a chance to grow before I let my mood convince me that this person will solve my problems. Honestly, though, I still struggle with dealing with my angry moods. I'm able to control it when something small happens, but when I'm already stressed out or tired, it's super hard to handle. So that is story number one. Who do you think that is? If everyone's written it down, let me know. Ready? Okay, Three, are ready? two, yep. one, go! Oh. Ah! Yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad, but yeah, it's me. Well, I guessed you because you? you really, because you've told me before you really like then versus now stories, and this was very much in that format. So I was oh, like, yeah. it's gotta be no. <laughs> yep. That was, oh, you that guys know just... me so well. I love it. Uh... <laughs> so tell us, tell us about your, uh, your experience. I'll still keep it in the then versus now format. So whenever I was in a moment of feeling like depressed or angry or upset or lonely, I always, always, always wanted someone to come save the day, come make me feel better because I certainly didn't know how to do that. So, you know, over the years, obviously, I learned how to help myself when I feel lonely. Like, I don't have to wait for someone to reach out to me. I can just reach out to someone if I'm feeling lonely or upset or any other thing. Like, there's no need for me to bottle everything in and expect everyone to just read my mind and come help me. That's not fair, you know? Um, so, yeah, it took me a while to figure that out, but eventually I did. So I think that's how I'm able to regulate my emotions a little bit more than in the past. And as far as the anger, 
I don't know, other than like avoiding like triggers and stuff, which isn't always possible. So that is something I will probably always have to work on for the rest of my life. But so at least I recognize that it's a problem and it's something that I need to work on. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I think about, like when you say like having to deal with this, like for, for the rest of your life, I think one of the things that helps me is, is thinking about it in terms of like my emotion. I will always be emotionally sensitive. I won't all, yeah. I'm not always going to be disordered. Right. Right. Like with emotions, it's so hard sometimes to figure out what we've done to specifically deal with our sensitivity versus what we've done to deal with our reactions to the sensitivity. So I am curious, you know, you, you were talking about the, you know, sort of the reacting strongly at people. Is there something that you've done to separate like the emotion from the reaction so that it's like easier to keep from having those external dysfunctional behaviors? Sometimes what's going on or what someone is thinking or feeling is not what I think it is. And so like if I'm dealing with a situation with a friend or someone who has hurt my feelings, like I don't, I try not to like jump the gun and make all of these crazy assumptions and, you know, put them in this black box of, oh, you're bad. So forget about you, you know? Um, so normally what I do is I kind of like breathe for a minute. So if I'm like texting them, then I, I sit down for a few minutes, I chill out, you know, maybe I might talk to my husband because he's good at like kind of leveling me out a lot. Or, you know, I just talk to myself like, well, come on, you know, this isn't maybe like what you're thinking it is. So just breathe a little bit and ask the person what they're thinking or what's going on with them. Um, and also, like, there's this phrase that pops up in my head a lot when I'm having a reaction to someone who's hurt me is not everything is about you. So what that means for me when I right like right now is sometimes I think that someone is mad at me or upset with me and they're snapping at me and I remind myself this isn't about you. It might not have anything to do with you at all. And maybe it does, but if it does then that's on them to explain it to you, you know, because again, no one can read the other person's mind. So that helps me with my moods as far as like relationships go. But I also, you know, you have to struggle with moods, you know, for things that don't really have to do with people and maybe like your own internal feelings. So for that, I do a lot of like self-care. So for me, that means sort of isolating in a healthy way. So I go for a walk in the woods and that always like calms me down and levels me out. Um, or I might play like a mindless game on my phone or, you know, watch something funny on TV just to kind of bring me out of that feeling of depression or something. Um, and then Zanny, I also wanted to say when you were like talking about, um, like being an emotional person. So I actually, I talked to my therapist about this last week. Cause I said, I hate being so emotional and I hate being so sensitive. And she's like, well, it's not always a bad thing. I mean, think of like how much love you feel, you know, and all of those like happy feelings you feel. So when I'm beating myself up for feeling upset about something that I feel like most people wouldn't be so upset about, I remind myself that I'm a compassionate person as well. So yeah, I'm sensitive. It's okay to be emotional as long as you realize that about yourself and realize how to like keep yourself from getting in trouble. 
I'm sitting here with this giant, like, funny grin on my face because I don't know if you remember this, but what your therapist said to you last week, you said to me in our one-on-one interview a couple months ago. You know, like, yeah. you you said, I do feel things deeply, but that's not always bad. Like, I yeah. love and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, and your therapist says it back to you. It's like, I think, yeah. She had not, to remind me, though. I just think it's great that it's like, like, you, you and your therapist are clearly on the same wavelength. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> all right. So, st- story number two. Once I was in such a terrible state of distress that I engaged in self-harm. Within minutes, the distress passed, and I was taking pictures of myself looking sexy. I have pictures of myself sort of posing with these horrible marks on my body. I'm embarrassed to tell the story, but I think it captures the roller coaster swings. I went from an emotionally destructive state to a state of calm and admiration so quickly. I didn't understand how I could move so quickly from one to the other. I've often found that extreme states of distress are followed by eerily calm states. So that was story number two. So, right. ready? Yep. Three, two, one, go! Uh, oh, ah, says Georgia. It does say yeah. Georgia. Yeah. That. <laughs> so that there was were a couple me. giveaways for this one because like, I remember in a conversation before she was like, "Yeah, I used to take sexy pictures." So when I saw that, yeah, I was that's like, what gave it away that's for me. Georgia. Too. Not, yeah, you know, yeah. You know I've missed that. I never. I haven't actually been part of that conversation. So maybe it was just. I've, let's do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I've spoken about doing. Uh, you know what? I spent a lot of my life like really thinking that I was ugly or um, just not feeling like attractive to myself. So I just started like purposely taking pictures, and um, we'll look at them. It, it was like through looking at them that I was like, you know what? I like myself. Like I, there's nothing wrong with my body. That's just an aside, kind of the reason why I do that. Um, so with this story, it was, I submitted this because in my mind, it's just such a huge, I mean, the topic is mood swings and it, it, I, I was looking through pictures on my phone and I purposely, these are very embarrassing pictures to me. Like I would, I would melt if anybody ever saw them because it's, there's no congruence there. Um, you know, they're pictures that have obvious, you know, marks in them, but the way I'm standing or, you know, it's completely incongruent with each other and they were within the same day you know, not even hours apart. And I, I feel a little bit embarrassed by it. Um, but at the same time, I think it really captures like the length of time you can be in an extreme mood. And for borderline, you hear that it's a roller coaster. And I just thought it was such a great example of like how that's not even a roller coaster. It's like a free fall. You know, it's one of those Mm -hmm. rides that are just, so, um, it was, I felt like it was also an example of using an extremely destructive and unhealthy coping mechanism for a state of extreme distress. Um, and I am proud to say I don't engage in that anymore because I've worked really, really hard to, I know snaps, (laughs) I've worked really, really hard to, um, 
one, not get to that point anymore through using things like my please skills and my other skills that I've learned in DBT. Um, and number two, um, having healthier coping mechanisms. Like, so I'm not reaching that extreme stress that, um, in dysregulation that I, I was previously. And I also know when I'm in a, in a really, really dysregulated state, like healthier things to do and, and they've proven effective for me. So. I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating your body. In fact, I came from obviously the fitness industry where the people that had the most success for even things like, let's just say weight loss is the most basic, they became happiest and more fulfilled when they were able to look at a photo of themselves as opposed to how much weight they'd lost or gained. I used to dream that I wanted to look completely different and I look exactly the same, but in my mind, I... And that's where it counts. Like I look completely different. I don't know if anybody remembers that movie Shallow Hal. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you saw how Hal saw the person versus how everybody else saw the person. And what really mattered was how Hal saw the person. And I think it's the same for yourself. And I think that goes not only for physical appearance, but also just like in my recovery from BPD, um, it's a lot about how I see myself. I see myself as a person who's managing this illness and as someone who has like that power and that um, self and self-respect and um, just like building myself up. Like I have this, um, this is, you know, I have this personality disorder, but it doesn't define me. And I'm, I'm doing well, like I'm, I'm doing well. And I see myself a lot differently now than the way I saw myself when my symptoms were, were out of control, undiagnosed, untreated. So. So the third story is, I once got into an argument with someone that I was trying to get to know better. In my head, I was really keen to get to know them because they had been diagnosed with an illness that could be terminal. They quite rightly asked me to respect boundaries. At this point, I became so frustrated that I then replied, well, it's not like we have a lot of time, so that's why I'm pushing. Needless to say, that ended badly. Okay, I am ready whenever you all are. I think I'm ready. ready. Three, two, one. Yeah, oh. yeah that's insane. Oh, <laughs> we're so good today. Yeah, we've all got oh. it right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, boundaries. I think for me, it's one of the the hardest things to to learn because I never really, I never had boundaries. I didn't know what they were. So when I'm happy, I'm just like everyone's happy, yay! And when I'm down, I'm like nobody talked to me. And um, it's really confusing for so many people. Where one minute I have been really happy and bubbly, the next minute I'm like. Nobody talked to me for a minute. And then half an hour later, I've had a power nap or something and I'm like, good to go. <laughs> in this instance, I was talking to someone that I thought, you know, I, I wanted to get to know them. I was completely not even thinking about this um, this this um, diagnosis for their, their you know, their, their, their illness or anything, because I would just, I just see everyone as themselves. So I'm asking all these questions, which are probably in hindsight, it was quite chugging, but I was in this little happy place thinking, yay. And then when they said about boundaries, I suddenly thought, well, no, next thing I just, it just came out of nowhere. I didn't even, I don't even remember saying it um, on the message as a place of malice or anything. 
in my brain, I was just explaining, well, we haven't got that much time, so I want to know who you are now. But <laughs> it obviously, it just came across so badly. And then the next thing, I, I went into this really um, downward little spiral for a bit because I thought, what have I done? How could I have said that to someone? But now, looking back on it, I did apologise wholeheartedly as many times as possible. I allowed them to vent. Sometimes you have to give that person space for their their time to process what you've just said or done, or their time to, like you said, vent or or or, or, or learn. Um, I hope this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. Um, yeah, I think it does. I think um, as well, I really want anyone to, who's watching, I don't want them to get a false sense or false narrative that we're all these like um, superhuman people that have done this thing that they're struggling to, that they might not be able to do. Because um, even with um, like the moods, like my moods are still now, they're still up and down. It's only difference is how I try to process it. And um, I think for a lot of us, it's always going to be an ongoing process. When we talk about being in functional recovery, at least I always thought that I, you know, I would be less sensitive or less. And in a way, it's I'm just more sensitive in a different way, like in a healthier way. It's hard to feel these other emotions, but it's also like I can tell myself I am not the emotion. If I sit with it, it will pass by. And it, and it doesn't, you know, I never really... <laughs> It's not that I didn't believe it, but like, you know, my therapist would say like these other emotions are helpful. You need emotions. They're helpful. That's what we would talk about in skills group. And I was always like, no, 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 they're not. But like when you don't allow yourself to feel those things and you, because I think it's just common that negative things come out as anger. Um, you're not experiencing the full range. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. I was just going to say as well that the secondary battle that I had to face was the stigma of, of being a man who talked about their feelings in an open manner, in a sensitive, caring manner. It's too feminine. It's too soft. It's too this. You need to be more aggressive. You need, you know, that's, you need to be more hard. And I'm fortunate that, um, by default, I have a really good group of male a male peer group around me who we encourage each other to say things like I, I love you bro and things like that when we talk on the phone and you know when we talk about how we actually feel about things and I realized that a lot of my healing process started when I removed myself from the vicinity of of certain men who who were almost um, resistant to that change before if I felt like I'm a bit upset I'd sneak off somewhere in the corner and feel a little bit of a tear or I'd losing my temper and think but now I, I own it and just think well it is it is what it is for want of a better phrase different people liked me for different reasons so now it's a it's a case of actually bringing it all together and letting people understand that that was me this is me that's going to me me in the future as opposed to three separate entities mm, i love that i love how you yeah it's a bit deep, then, isn't it? i was like oh <laughs> that did sound that one. <laughs> so, Zanny, we haven't heard about your story. Oh, yeah. So, story number four. I've always been super sensitive to criticism, and it tends to be a strong emotional activator for me. The hardest part was that so much of the time, I'd hear criticism where there wasn't any. 
I've also struggled to be organized and clean in my space. So I used to have really intense reactions when people asked me about cleaning up. Sometimes they'd just be wondering if I was going to use the laundry machine because they didn't want to use it if I had plans for it. But I always interpreted that as, you haven't done laundry yet? What a loser. I'd lash out in response to my interpretation only to find out later that my reaction did not fit the situation. Yeah, criticism is a big activator for my like intense reactions. So the story is sort of like, a, it wasn't one, one particular incidence. It was sort of like a, a pattern of things that ha happened a lot. And I still struggle with this a little bit. Um, like the, the, the reaction of, of like, ugh, why are you asking me? I don't want to feel shame about this. When I think about like my reaction to criticism, like, especially with cleanliness, I think I've carried such a deep shame about it because I really don't like how messy I am. Um, and this is one of those things where I, I think my way of dealing with it has just been to tune it out and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So when somebody brings it up, it's been kind of like, even if they're not actually criticizing me or they're just asking like, hey, are you planning to do laundry? And the question really comes from a place of like, because I wanted to do a load, right? Like, I didn't, you know, if you live in a house with somebody, you have to like plan out when, who's going to use what when. But I, all the my first go-to is always that they think that I am such some horrible, slobby, awful person. And then I would lash out at them. And that really was because, you know, what I, my aggression towards them was an expression of really how I felt about myself. Um, and I, so I still struggle with criticism a lot because I am through my like more advanced recovery, I guess you could say really becoming well acquainted with shame and being trying to really feel shame. And it's hard because it, it really doesn't feel nice, but it makes me a nicer person to sit with it. And I think one of the things that I'm becoming more comfortable with in general is just the fact that negative emotions are as beautiful and as much of my experience, life experience as the positive ones. They all exist to tell me something. Yeah. We can sort of go around and sort of last thoughts about effective instability and, and, and being intense. And, you know, I don't know, what are your last thoughts that you'd want to share with the audience mm. well my last <laughs> thought is <laughs> like so um you know for me there is a difference between being like moody you know which is kind of not a positive thing to be versus just having a lot of emotions and feeling those emotions intensely so you know, in my moody days, I was just out of control. My emotions controlled me and I was not the only one who suffered as a result. People in my life that I loved also had to suffer through my moodiness and it became a problem. But now I, I still have intense emotions, of course, but I'm not moody. Like it's harder for me to go from zero to 100. Like it still happens, mm -hmm. but when it happens, I'm able to to calm myself down or I'm able to find a support supportive person to help me get back to a more like stable level. So if you're watching this and you suffer with this, it's okay to be a highly sensitive person. It's what makes you, you know, compassionate and loving and loyal. So that's okay. I just, 
I hope that people, whoever you are, you you find a way to keep yourself balanced and to bring yourself back down if you are having a, a rough moment. I think my takeaway is very similar. Like, I don't think that that my intense emotions will totally go away. Like, they're a part of me. Um, and what I've come to understand, though, is that I can manage them on a daily level by, um, you know, a big buzzword is self-care. In DBT, it's please skills. So I find that if I keep up on my please skills and then when my emotions, that reduces a little bit like the the intensity of it. And then the distress tolerance obviously helps when they get bad. But um, I think that that, and, and I guess in some ways I think like, well, the, the real effective instability in that like up and down, um, sometimes it can be a good thing because you're not trapped in whatever you're feeling at that moment because <laughs> you know that like within a few moments you could be the opposite so <laughs> that's my takeaway everybody tends to focus on the the anger side of 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 people with um with, with um, bpd but for me it's actually the other side the 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 more loving side when I meet someone, I really do feel like they're the most amazing person in the world. And it's not something that I, I'm deliberately trying to control. Um, and it's, it's sometimes it's getting used to that and allowing yourself to feel how you feel. Then make sure I don't get the balance where I don't get snappy or, or lose my shit the other way around. Sorry, I just didn't let you see that. I just, I don't know, I'm swerving. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my biggest takeaway is just what I keep saying is that like being sensitive is not a disorder, right? You know, like you, you yeah. it can lead to being disordered, but being sensitive is not a disorder. There's nothing wrong with you for having big feelings. And it's very important, I think, if you're struggling with this to separate your emotion from problematic behavior. And when I say problematic behavior, I don't just mean like your actions or your words, because like what you think to yourself is also behavior. So like when you feel an intense emotion, a dysfunctional behavior might be beating yourself up over it mentally, right? Like that's a dysfunctional behavior. That could be part of the disorder. Feeling the emotion is not the disorder. I right? love how you so, put that. Right? Yeah. That was, that, so was good. that was good. So, <laughs> so I think that's just very important because I think that's one of the things that, that, you know, our perspective on how we should be feeling, whether it's more or less, can hold us back from moving forwards in our recovery. Either we're like, I'm afraid that if I recover, I'll lose my sensitivity. And so I'm going to stay like this. Or we think, you know, I should never feel anything horrible ever again in my life. And then, and then, then we have these unrealistic expectations for what recovery should be like. And, and we're constantly treating ourselves like garbage for not reaching an, a standard that's impossible for everybody. Yeah. You know, you're not a robot. Why would you, I mean, yeah, don't try yeah. to be a robot. <laughs> Just try to be a person. Great advice. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Going into <laughs> it, I thought that's what recovery was, was just a state of nothingness. And I've learned that, like you say, Zanny, it's not a state of nothingness. It's still feeling the feelings. It's the behavior attached to them that is the problem and that you can change. I believe very strongly our emotions exist just to try to tell you something. So 
Thank you, lovely audience, for watching this episode. We hope that you have an amazing week and that you got something from this episode. Make sure you like, subscribe, and turn on your notifications so you don't miss a single episode. And we will see you next time. We'll be telling stories related to the symptom of chronic emptiness. So sort of the, mm. the flip side of feeling a lot of things is sometimes not feeling anything, which is... Not as great as it may sound like it would be if you're feeling it things intensely. So we will see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.